Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, bro. It's Russo'sBrand.com. Get the real shoot for the most controversial personality in pro wrestling, Vince Russo. Stevie Richards Fitness. Hey, don't you think it's time for a band new you? Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and join the SRF resistance today. ProWrestlingTees.com. Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talent worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and support indie wrestling today. Bro, if you're a real coffee lover, then you've got to try Broaster's Limited Edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Available right now at www.thebroasters.com. This limited edition coffee is fresh roasted weekly and shipped directly to your door. You will love the Nicaraguan blend with roasted chocolatey notes when you smell it. Get your Vince Russo Bro Coffee today at thebroasters.com and follow them at Coffee Broasters today on Twitter. Enjoy the best coffee today, bro. From Broasters, Vince Russo Brand, and Hameen Media Group. infidels i've greenlit my latest cell and it's the war on morons podcast that's right the world's full of morons but i've sent jay and anisa to declare war on them from the stupid criminals to those florida man stories you love and the other idiots of hollywood and dc these new Hamid soldiers speak the truth the stupidity in a fun and comical manner each week these two will be bringing on friends and all these crazy characters to give you the punk rock comedy news show you didn't even know that you needed but you have it now that you're under quarantine you will listen infidels and that's right there's a bit of uncertainty every week from the live hotline so you never know who's going to call into the show <laughs> so plant your flag in the sand grab your friends and suit up because the war on morons has commenced infidels visit them now and subscribe at the war on morons dot podbean.com YOLO <laughs> The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Wednesday, March 25th, 2020, and you're locked in for that midweek treat with hashtag damn HTM boys right here on hashtag HTM sports. It's me, it's me, it's that art of the beat of the Rick Vickery, large and in charge this episode, but no, 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 do not threat. I am not alone. The uh, the El Capitan, he is still here with me. Michael Jargo, how are we doing this afternoon? I say, I say, it's the M to the F to the J. Isn't that how this shit's supposed to work? You completely botched that gimmick. 
Well, you, well, you buy a shirt gimmick. You know what? You know what? What would I do? Well, you, you forgot to mention our friends over at thebrosters.com. You forgot to mention the War on Morons podcast, our proud sponsors for the month for the Hameen Media Group. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jargo back in your ear holes. But I'm going to let RBV actually host this week's show because I had an absolute nightmare at work last night. So Huckleberry actually wrote the run. And I was like, hey, man, if you're going to write the show, you're going to host the show because you got in your head how this thing's going to go. But, I, you know, what? we're already off. This is already a train wreck. We'll, we'll, we'll work our way through this episode here. But, you know, what? let's just go ahead for hashtag HTM Sports. Let's just go ahead and put in our two-week notice. Hey, there you go. Yeah, two, two, two more HTM Sports episodes, man. That, that's going to be a little bit strange. We may have to uh, do this as kind of like special appearances, just kind of here and there, like when it comes time for big events, whether it be a season kicking off or a champion being crowned. We know RBV and Jargo. We're never going to be out of your ear holes. All of you sons of bitches are stuck with us. Well, when you're, you're talking about special appearances, those big events, you know, all those those major happenings that are going on, or if it be the world of professional sports, if it be the world of sports entertainment, pro wrestling, and there's nothing juicier than a good old throwdown, a, a little blood feud, if you will, Jargo. And man, outside of the professional wrestling ring, outside of the squared circle, Things are really starting to heat up on, well, not necessarily on the gridiron, but the off-season grind as we're preparing for the NFL season. And we've, we've got some stories all around the league, individuals, groups, factions, if you will. They are button heads. But hey, we got we to gotta start off with the biggest story in the world of sports. This is the main event. This is what everyone's talking about. This is the marquee, the headliner, the continuing saga between Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and everything going on with the the exodus from New England here, brother. Uh, it, last couple of days, you know, Tom, he is settling down there in Tampa. Their fan base is excited. You know, we've been talking about it here on hashtag HDM Sports, the record numbers that we're seeing in, already in merchandise and season ticket sales, all the excitement going on around there and, and then up in the Northeast, all the questions still surrounding the direction of the Patriots. But it seems like a lot of the talking heads, the experts out there, and hell, even the fans themselves, they seem a little upset that that Brady, maybe not showing all the fire that's burning down in that belly, he seems to be no-selling some of this bad blood between him and Bill. It's the Patriot way, right? I mean, above everything else, in order for this thing for Tom Brady to work down in Tampa Bay, he's going to have to change the culture in Tampa Bay. Rick, I, I heard over the last couple of days, do you know who the losingest franchise in history is? In history, not, not just football, across all American sports, who the losingest franchise is, the worst winning percentage in all of sports, it's no surprise that it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady went from the greatest team in history to historically the worst team. And now he's trying to change the culture. Rick, I heard a story the other day. They asked Tom Brady, you know, what do you want? Do you want to be in charge of the offense? Do you want to be in charge of the meetings? Do you want to help be in charge of personnel? What do you want to come to Tampa Bay? And Tom Brady's response was, I want the phone number of every wide receiver on the roster. He is He's changing the culture. Absolutely. You know, those are the reports out there. You know, he is already in 
and you know, to go a little bit further here, you're talking about that culture with inside the Buccaneers locker room and, you know, the general manager, anyone that's been able to speak to the press from that front office, from ownership on down, you know, they've talked about, it's just not about Tom Brady, the player. It is about the locker room general and that winning attitude that he has set to bring there for the Buck Nation. You know, some comments here. We've heard, you know, in his departure through social media, as he continued to put over the owner, Robert Kraft, as he put over all the personnel, you know, in his roundabout way, he thanked Coach Belichick, despite, you know, the uh, the rumored bad blood between those two. But just yesterday in his introductory conference call, yes, conference call as they are quarantined themselves. He couldn't be there live with the uh, with the press and all that and all the excitement that it surrounds that. But Mr. Brady had to say, uh, I said the other day, no one cares what I've done in the past. They don't care what you did last year, five years ago, or 10 years ago. And I think hopefully the knowledge I had with my experience playing quarterback will allow me to transition quickly. Now, let me ask you here, you know, is, you know this is Tom Brady 101. He, he is the, the modern-day Joe Cool. His hero was Joe Montana. Also, during the press conference, he, you know, he talked to a great length about Joe Montana, and when he made the transition from the San Francisco 49ers to the Kansas City Chiefs. With Tom moving forward here, do you see, I mean, is this going to be a smooth transition for himself and this team? Do you see any, like, early growing pains? Did you know what? I just blew my own goddamn mind as you were sitting there talking. Because I was reading this quote over and over. I said the other day, no one cares what you've done in the past what you did last year, five years ago, 10 years ago. Is Tom Brady the Triple H of the NFL? Like, he was the heir apparent. He was the one that was marked to take over. And then, you know, there, there, there was a little bit of dissension. And now Tom's going, maybe he's the Shane McMahon of the of the NFL. This It's just kind of a crazy. I compare everything to pro wrestling these days. Um but would it be would it be the Triple H or maybe now in this setting as we are seeing this move to a potential new juggernaut? Is he a little bit more like Chris Jericho? Yeah, maybe maybe Jericho. Yeah, I could see that because and Belichick would still be you know the Vince McMahon, you know because we we heard Jericho tell the story the other day that right after he signed with AEW, Vince was like, "Why'd you sign with them?" And he Jericho's like, "Cause you told me to," you know, um. It's interesting. It's interesting. Brady is, is there anything that you're noticing outside of the norm for Tom Brady? Like this sounds like the same Tom Brady. Like you and I both know if there's going to be anybody that is going to be able to change offenses, that's going to be able to read a playbook, that's going to be able to put this thing together down in Tampa Bay, it's going to be Tom Brady. I watch Tom versus time. I know how much film study Tom Brady does. Tom Brady probably knows the Tampa Bay Buccaneers better than the head coach, Bruce Arians, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like Brady is probably familiar with all that personnel. He's probably watched every game in the last five years at like, you know, a quarter of the speed. Brady's insane. And I think this is just typical Tom Brady. This is the same Tom Brady that you would see up in New England as he's preparing for a season. And I think, you know, with Tom Brady and the no selling here, I mean, that is inside of his personality. Less, less words speaks a greater treats, you know, speaks greater volumes 
with Tom Brady. He's going to leave it for on the field. That's where he's going to make his statement. That's how you're going to know about how he feels about, you know, eventually feels about this departure and this incredible split from, as you put over earlier, you know, arguably one of the greatest teams, but certainly one of the greatest dynasties of all time in any sport. What's going to be driving? What's going to be driving Tom Brady well, going forward? Do you remember I mean, when he was suspended a couple of years ago and he was suspended for the first four games with the Flategate and you put a chip on Tom Brady's shoulder and he went out there and he felt like he had something to prove and he just went completely insane and the Patriots won everything? Yeah, I, Tom Brady's very dangerous with a chip on his shoulder. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what you're looking for. And, and the bigger that chip, the more you kind of stack up on that shoulder, the more dangerous Tom Brady's going to be. But, you know, he had – there was so much to fuel him up there in New England. You know, a late-round pick. No one expected anything from him. Uh, time after time, you know, oh, you know, they're cheaters. Or he has lost it. You know, it's, it's this player. It's this system. There were so many – you know, there was so many dominoes lined up to you know set him up as that ultimate underdog, and he used that as fuel each and every time. But now, all of the championships, the MVPs, the records that he has set—you know—he is the goat. He is defined as the goat by so many. Now, believe me, there in making this transition, there is still a lot, a lot to push him, to drive him, to go to that next level. You know, especially, you're, you're looking at this move to Tampa. I mean, w- to add to the resume, to become the first starting quarterback in a Super Bowl to play in your home facility. I mean, something that's never been done. You, you got to believe that's absolutely driving. But it's also one of those things where Tom Brady wants to feel appreciated. And Tom Brady has earned the right to feel appreciated, right? I think we all agree with that. But isn't the fact that Tom Brady has not been appreciated what's really made Tom Brady Tom Brady? I mean, like, we we hear about this rift between Belichick and Brady. And it had to be about a year ago. Somebody at a press conference asked Brady, you know, do you feel appreciated here in New England? And Brady famously said, I plead the fifth. Brady is at his best when he has that chip on his shoulder, when Brady has something to prove. Belichick isn't going to sit there and blow smoke up your ass and tell you how fucking great you are. Belichick is going to go out of his way to make sure that one of those chips on that shoulder is going to be Bill Belichick because that's when Tom Brady thrives. You talk about Brady being the GOAT, I say it, you say it, all the talking heads on ESPN, FS1, everybody knows that Tom Brady's the GOAT. But there's one person that's never said that Tom Brady is the GOAT, and that's Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick will not put Tom Brady over, and Tom Brady was fine with that. Is Tom Brady a mark for himself? I was absolutely, you know, I was just going to bring this up here. You know, anybody that really thrives in that moment, that seeks that greatness, that, that has that push, that desire, that fire, you're, you know what moves you. You know, it could be financially, uh, it could be whatever it might be, it could be women, so on and so forth. If it is that, you feel that you're being disrespected, that you are going to overcome each and every hurdle, mountain, whatever it might be. If you realize with inside of you, that's what's going to ultimately allow you to reach that success, then you begin to create those reasons. So within Tom Brady, 
Yes, I mean he's intelligent enough to realize that. He's going to look for those look for those angles so that he can capitalize on those. In a sense here though, is that really Belichick being standoffish or is it his brilliance in coaching that he realizes Yes, this is the way to motivate him. This is the way I am going to get the absolute best from this kid from Michigan who no one gave a shot in hell of ever, you know, starting in the NFL, let alone being, you know, talked about as the greatest quarterback, the greatest player of all time. Does that speak to the brilliance of Bill Belichick? Let's look at you. You're talking about the respect factor. And if Brady didn't feel that you know everything that he has earned was being given to him by his head coach, I would most certainly disagree with this because there's only been one consistent in New England for you know on the roster, and that is Tom Brady. They have gotten rid of Hall of you know legendary Hall of Fame kickers, wide receivers, you know just hell linebackers, linemen, multiple Hall of Famers. They have sent their bags packing and they have been able to reload. But up until this point, the one constant was always that, you know, they would take care of Tom Brady. And that's where you get into the system. That's where you get into the Patriot way, because you know Bill Belichick has always notoriously move off of a player a year before you have to and get the most value back for him. We're going to talk about the Patriots here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, what the Patriots are doing right now is a freaking master's class. Belichick is playing chess. Everybody else is playing checkers. But as you're talking about when you, you're maximizing a, a player's, I would say potential, but almost worth. And you're, you're looking at that gas tank, and when they feel it's almost an empty, you know, when it's got like a quarter of a tank left, they will go ahead and move off of that player. And most certainly, you know, now – this is a two-way street, but there has been some ill feelings between these two. Uh, you got to believe that this bad blood between Belichick and Brady it really goes back to that loss in the Super Bowl to the Eagles. Yeah, where you know where Tom felt that he wasn't given the best opportunity to go out there and win that championship because of some coaching moves, and that's where you really started to, to hear the rumblings between these two, and it really started to surface publicly. But now, as we're moving forward, you know, it's you know, is the press. The media, the fans, you know, they're looking to, to Brady to bring some of that fire. There's a lot of questions about what's actually going on in New England inside the Patriots organization. Michael Jarger, you're the first one that actually had mentioned this. And, and now it's kind of making a, 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 some small waves on the rounds with the, the major talking heads and all that. Are we looking at a hashtag tank gate? Going on in New England, as you're talking about the, the master chess player positioning all of his pieces, you know, chess is a long game. It's just not a season. It's going to take time here. Is Bilicek, is he, is he going to throw this next season to set up for the future? Or are the Patriots going to continue to push forward here? Well, here's the thing with the Patriots. All right. And I, I thought Cowherd did a great job of laying this out on his show yesterday. And this is even an aspect I hadn't thought of. What if the Patriots finish like six and ten? You know, yeah, you're, 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 there's no way you're going to be that number one pick. You're, you're not going to get Trevor Lawrence if you finish six and ten, unless you're the Patriots. Going into this year's draft, the Patriots have eleven draft picks, and it wouldn't surprise anybody to see the Patriots in true Patriot-like ways. 
they end up moving a couple of those picks and they trade back and they accumulate more picks for next season. Going into next season, right now, they already have 11 picks for next year's draft. They're going to get at least a couple of compensatory picks for the players that they've let go, like Van Noy, as well as, you know, Tom Brady. The Patriots could easily go into next year's draft with between 13 and 14 draft picks. So even if they finish 6-10, and 10, well, let's say, you know, Cincinnati, they, they're Cincinnati, and once again, they go 2-14. and 14. They got the number one pick again next year. But if they take Joe Burrow this year, they don't need Trevor Lawrence. And so the Patriots get on the phone and they say, hey, how about you guys move back in the draft about five spots and we'll give you nine fucking draft picks. Belichick is playing chess. I know I know that you're on board there with Colin, but you know, I think both of you right now with how slow everything is, you guys are you're fishing for something. I'm still not buying into this right now that that the Patriots are absolutely done making moves that they're they're phoning this thing in whatsoever. In the I mean, last they still week, in the last they week, they let two defensive linemen go, a linebacker go, and a surefire first ballot Hall of Fame kicker go. You know what? If if you remove Tom Brady from this conversation. We're not even batting an eye at any of those moves for the, for the Patriots. That is just, it's in their MO. It is reloading. But, you know, but we, we'd be naive to try to, to use that logic here because the, the truth of the matter is it does involve Tom Brady. The, these facts are coming to, to the forefront here. Let's look at the quarterback position uh, and what they've got going in to this next season here. Uh, you got Jared Stidham who they took in the fourth round of last year's draft. And then you also have Cody Kessler, who under contract. Yep. These guys don't scream, you know, scream excitement by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that's what's bringing up this conversation of, okay, if they're going to hitch the wagon to either of these horses, or maybe by a committee and just hope that both of these ponies can pull them to six wins or whatever it might be to get them through this season. And you got to believe you're the Patriots organization. You have built up enough goodwill and trust from your fan base that they'll give you a pass here. I absolutely do not see that as their game plan going forward at all. I think they, they do want to win. They realize what they have, what they had here. I mean, last year was one of Brady's statistically one of his worst years. He was down a bit. They were still the second seed in the playoffs, 12 and five. You make a couple moves there. You go, Fill out what you needed on your offense. You get that person that can stretch the field. You get that wide out that's going to be that deep threat for you. And you really hanker down, get some depth on your defense. You're right back there. And all you need is a game manager quarterback to fill into that system. Now, I don't know if it's either of these two young kids that they've currently got under contract. I still believe that they're going to be in the Andy Dalton market. Well, they also signed Brian Hoyer. And, and Hoyer knows he knows their system. He's been there before. Yes. So, you know, he, and I believe, you know, in their minds, and hell, you could sell me on this thing that with the right weapons and tools around him, that Hoyer might be able to manage, you know, to at least get them back to the postseason. You say 2019 was a down year for Tom Brady. 
Only Tom Brady is a down year, 4,057 yards, 24 touchdowns, and eight interceptions. That's a down year for Tom Brady. There's a hell of a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that would be absolutely freaking killing for those stats. Well, I mean, and then you can look at some of the others, like his, his overall rating. Uh, and I know there's a, a handful of other stats, and we're looking at the – we're going to talk about some of the movers and shakers here at the quarterback position. But, L, uh, you can make arguments you know, that, that Rivers had a stronger season. Uh, Brady had a, a rating of 88 last year, 2006, 87.9, 2013, 87.3. Like, it, it was just, it, I, I agree, it wasn't a great year for Tom Brady, but let's not pretend like, you know, the tires are falling off of the freaking truck either. I'm not, I'm not saying this as a knock towards Tom Brady. I'm putting myself in a, per, in a positive perspective from the Patriot, Patriot standpoint where, you know, it's not necessary. We have to completely back off here, we can still push forward. And as you're talking about, you know, just if they get six wins, they're going to fall anywhere from probably that that six to ten six, spot in the six draft. Six to ten, yeah. And then trying to maybe use that anywhere in that positioning as an enticer to move up. I mean, hell, they still are going to have all those draft picks available if they want to make a major jump in next year's draft. If they need to, it doesn't matter really where they position themselves. There's also the fact that, you know, really the only two teams that I can think of that are going to be even in the running with as bad as the Patriots are going to be the Cincinnati Bengals and the New York football giants, both of which are going to have their quarterback. And I still, I think there's more out there. I don't think Jacksonville is going to be any better. You don't like uh, Gardner not... Minshew. <laughs> no, I, I'm not buying it. It may, maybe uh, it's a, a tremendous name for a Chinese buffet. Sounds like somebody from the Broken Hardy universe, doesn't it? Gardner yeah, Minshew. Absolutely there. So, Senior, <laughs> Benjamin, Senior Benjamin's assistant, Gardner Minshew. We're not buying any of that. Dad. I think there's a handful of teams that they're going to have to watch out for that are going to you know be around that 3-4 win mark. So I think they're going to push forward here. And I still think they're not out of this Andy Dalton play. Everyone, especially here in Cincinnati, oh, you know, nobody, nobody wants Dalton. No one's offering any draft picks or, or wants to trade. Well, why would you? It's the same situation as with the Cam Newton. Now, obviously, you know, there was some different questions around Cam with health and attitude and all that. But when you see that the relationship has soured and they absolutely have put out there that they'll take anything in exchange – as long as you take on that guaranteed guaranteed contract, no, you don't do that. You just wait for that relationship to dissolve itself and then for that player to go out there on that open market and you negotiate your own deal and you create your own situation moving forward. And I believe that's what you're going to see here with somebody when eventually when the breaking point comes and the Bengals have to release Andy Dalton, that's when you're going to see that market where people are going to be open up to you know having those conversations about bringing him in. I'm telling you right now, Andy Dalton can go – to New England, and if they give, you know, give him what Brady has had in the past, I'm in no stretch of the imagination. Am I saying that Andy Dalton can be anywhere near Tom Brady? I'm not saying that, but he can manage that team to success. I, I know the Bills. I mean, they are the favorites in this division. They have improved so much, and even down in Miami, where they are still cultivating that culture, they are improving. They're still, they're still quite a ways away from being where they want to be, and the the Jets are an absolute disaster. I, I'm kind of liking that there. 
I you brought no, up I do, the Dolphins. I, and I do, I do, I do know this though, and it's the first time in a long time the Patriots are like in the top three for the toughest schedules in the NFL next year. Mm-hmm. You brought up the Dolphins. Um, we talk about Derek Carr and how badly we all feel for Derek Carr. I feel bad for Josh Rosen. Like, is Josh Rosen gonna be like you know that that guy that? Ch- Number one pick, never even gets a shot. Yeah, you look for the, you look at that situation where, okay, where's my break going to come? When am I going to get my opportunity? And as you continue, you almost kind of get that feel as you're looking at somebody. Obviously, it worked out for him, but just that sense, you know, like an Aaron Rodgers, where each draft pick, you know, each each second that ticks by, that time's wearing out. Well, I mean, and, it, and you're just season one, you get hurt. Season two, you get replaced by Kyler Murray. You get shipped off to Miami. Now it sounds like Miami, by all accounts, is very interested in drafting Tua, which means that Josh Rosen, once again, the odd man out, just being replaced by the shiny new toy. Is Josh Rosen ever going to get a shot? That is a good question. Could the Patriots be a team like that to, to recognize that talent, that ability, and try to give him that shot? Hey, perfect transition here. You know, we're, we're talking about sides that are button heads. We're talking about the draft. This rolls right on over to this thing. We, we've got the NFL offices. This would be the commissioner and, and those in cahoots with him and, and his tight circle, the inner circle, if you will, of the NFL. Uh, they're button heads here with the, the general manager subcommittee. The office plans to move forward with the April, uh, the, the late April draft, which would run from the, 24th, the 23rd to the 25th. They're planning on going as scheduled. The GMs have requested that the draft be moved back. Uh, really, just with everything going on with the coronavirus and the pandemic and the lockdowns and all that. Uh, this from Adam Schefter of ESPN. General managers are concerned that in this current environment, with off-season activities canceled and some teams' facilities closed, there won't be enough time for players, physicals, uh, gathering, psychological testing getting further verified information about the players and some teams have conducted the, that, you know, that they have to work from home here. So I lost my spot on that. So, I mean, all around everything, how detailed it is to go into the draft, you know, they're worried that they're not going to be, you know, have their best foot forward. They're not going to be hitting on all cylinders with these incredible investments that they're making into these, you know, into their selections and the future of these young talents. They want to push this thing back, but, you know, really in this time of, where society is looking for a little bit of the norm. They're looking for that escape. The NFL kind of wants to move forward here office-wise and get this draft you know, going as scheduled. I think there's a couple of different aspects at work here. Um, number one, comment here from Mickey Loomis, the Saints general manager. This is not a fantasy draft that you can duck out there just with a list of things on a piece of paper. There's a lot of work that goes in it to prepare. There's a lot of work that is done during the draft. Listen, it'll be very, very difficult to conduct that and do it in a way that you're doing justice to the process. Rick, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, we talked about all the teams that had pulled their scouts from the road that were not going to be attending the the individual players' pro days. There's an awful lot of kids that can't even do their pro days right now. But let's just say, since the Cincinnati Bengals don't really have a general manager, let's just say that they call you up and they say, Huckleberry, we want you to be the general manager of the Cincinnati Bengals. Would you feel comfortable going into the draft knowing that if you miss on one pick, 
this $10 million a year job that you got very well could be over, especially if that pick is somebody like Joe Burrow, who turns out to be a freaking head case. Like, like if Joe Burrow turns out to be Cam Newton, you're probably going to be fired. Absolutely. You know, it, it, to me, it goes beyond, you know, those first couple picks. It's when you really get deep into this thing is mm-hmm. where they're doing their homework and they're, you know, they're really the research, how intensive it is and the hours, the manpower that goes into this thing. And then you have all these outside influences, everything that's going on with this pandemic. You absolutely, you got to feel and you got to understand where the general manager is coming from. This is more than, you know, as the general manager there, Loom said from the Saints, this isn't you know, your run-of-the-mill ESPN fantasy draft. This isn't everybody kind of get onto the live chat. You've got your little clock running in. You've got your Cheetos, your pizza, whatever. You're sitting at home. Got some, you know, your cheat sheets and all that that you're listening to the pros from ESPN. No, this is much more detailed. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is just the money that the draft brings in. We, we saw what it did in Nashville. And it's, it was supposed to be in freaking Vegas. Think of how much money that would bring into the NFL because you can bet your ass that's part of the CBA revenue sharing deal. Absolutely. And you know, one thing we're we're overall in sports and this is going to be a running theme. And we've been regularly talking about this on our pro wrestling podcast. And it is that escape. It is bringing a bit of familiarity back to society. Things we're used to and filling that void that we've absolutely had since, since we've lost sports. And what that means to so many individuals on just you know their day-to-day and how deep it runs in their life. To me, with the NFL, and I see, you know, they, they want to get moving, they want to make sure that that nothing is kind of altered in their schedule, but that's unavoidable. You're already gonna lose the OTAs. You're already losing day-to-day business. And you know, that varies by each market you're in, by you know, how those local governments, how they're regulating and taking measures to protect society against everything that comes along with this coronavirus. So you're, it's unavoidable to have what's going on affect your day-to-day operations. But inside of the draft, and this is something we talked about, and we've weighed these options when going back and forth about WWE going forward with WrestleMania, it is about that spectacle. It's about that presentation, that over-the-top feeling. This is a very special event each and every year where those that are inside of that bubble, this is a tremendous moment for them. And I think to, to push this back when you do see the doors open back up in these shutdowns, these lockdowns, these stay-at-home acts lifted, people are absolutely going to embrace this. They're going to want something like this. You had mentioned this thing is being held in Vegas. Can you imagine when Vegas reopens, You know how many, and, and they have to rebook this thing? just the flood of tourism print your own damn money that's going to head out there to me that is something that's going to be like an official okay we're back we're okay we've weathered this storm we went through the darkest of hours we can now see the light we've done this together let's start moving forward and that's kind of what the draft represents you know it's that fresh start new faces hope for all franchises going forward for the future you can tie those things together just for the feeling of the fans. And that's how you sell this thing to get them on board. But business operations for the league itself, the investment and long-term investment to make sure that you want the very best for your shining stars going forward. 
This makes the most sense. And I'm hoping that the subcommittee here, the general managers, they're able to persuade the commissioner's office to go ahead and delay this thing. Also, in addition to the NFL draft, I also saw an announcement that uh, Fury versus Wilder 3 has also been postponed. So, I mean, just between those two events, think how many tens of millions of dollars of tourism that would have brought into Vegas. Just between those two events. I just, you just think on the daily. I mean, we're sitting here on a Wednesday afternoon recording. I just think of what they're losing mm-hmm. in this next, you know, during this time, this hour or so that we're recording. You can make up a hell of a lot of that money, though, when it comes to the NFL draft and Fury versus Wilder 3. Absolutely. The millions and millions uh, that yeah. that are being lost right now because of everything that's going on. Of course, bigger picture. But, man, it's, it's mind-blowing to, to kind of think about the coin that's running through those slots out there, that ching, 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 ching. Hey, we're talking about the draft. We're talking about new hope, new faces, bright futures. We've got that with the marquee spots, the spotlight, the quarterback spot. Jordan, I wanted to have a little fun with this one, get some conversation going here. The uh, the quarterback six pick, six pack. We don't want any picks around here. We don't want any, you know pick sixes. The pick the six challenge. Jameis Winston yeah. has got this shit on lock. If he you ever know, gets I, a job, I was going to say he doesn't have a home to participate in this thing. But we're going to throw these guys inside the chamber here. Uh, we're looking at the quarterbacks. With not necessarily new homes, but new, they, most of them have new homes, but maybe new responsibilities. They're heading under center. The, the big six, if you will. Jerk, I want to know of these, of these stars, you know, which one is going to experience the, the greatest success, the short term in 2020? And then how would you rank them? So we've got Brady. He's going to be under center with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You got Phillip Rivers, as I mentioned earlier. He's headed to the Indianapolis Colts. You got Teddy Two Gloves, Bridgewater, going to Carolina with the Panthers. Nick Foles, the uh, Super Bowl MVP, going to the Windy City. Chicago, you're going to see a bunch of him up there in the NFC North. Of course, they're right now, as it stands, you got Stidham with the Patriots. And then Tyrod Taylor. Looks like he's going to be under center for the Chargers. How, how do you rank these guys? Who's, who's going to have the greatest success in 2020? Well, I mean, when you look at the rosters of who they went to, I think it's hard to not put Tom Brady number one, right? I mean, that wide receiving core that they've already assembled down in Tampa Bay, we keep hearing rumors of Antonio Brown somehow being added into that, which just seems ridiculous to me. Um, so I'll go Brady number one. Number two is close for me. Uh, because you have Philip Rivers, but you also have Teddy Two Gloves there. Now, I, I'm going to go with Philip Rivers because I think that Philip Rivers and the Colts stand a better chance of going further into the season than Teddy Two Gloves and the Panthers. I mean, because already inside of Teddy's division, you also have Drew Brees and now you have Tom Brady. I don't think three teams from the NFC South are going to make the playoffs, so I'm going to put Teddy at three, even though I kind of like him even long-term more so at two. Then I'm going to go with Jared Stidham because I do think Jared Stidham is going to get a lot of snaps with the New England Patriots, which leaves Nick Foles and Tyrod Taylor. Here's the thing. I don't know if either one of these guys is going to play. I mean, I, I mean, number one, you still have Mitchell Trubisky up there in Chicago. If you just completely come off of Trubisky, then the front office is basically just admitting that they completely blew this thing up, which we already knew that they did. But it could end up causing Pace's job, not to mention Mike Nagy. Um, I, I don't think I want to hitch my wagon to Nick Foles. Do you? 
Well, I was going to say, when you bring in Foles, it's absolutely, it speaks volumes of this, this management, the general manager, coaching staff, really saying, okay, we admit. We well, they've been, trying to, they've been trying to come off of this move for a while. Yeah. But to go out there and make this investment in Foles, you know, at least, you know, say, hey, you know, we won out. We got somebody that is tremendous in big games, Super Bowl MVP, champion, whatever it might be. I agree with you. I don't think Foles is in the conversation here of who's going to have the most success early in 2020 because I think it's going to be headlines because there's going to be controversy there. I mean, how long before, you know, hashtag ditch the Mitch yeah. and they do make that they do make that move to Foles. Yeah. So I, I think when we talk about success and their Foles, it's going to be about that transition and how he can potentially hold this team together. But yeah, it, you talk about an absolute disaster zone. It's got to be what's happening there with the Bears. So I, I'll, I'll give you that there. And then there's Tyrod. Yeah, and that that entire situation in itself, you know, it, I think it runs a lot deeper. It goes far beyond the quarterback position. Is we're talking about the Bears being a mess. You talk about maybe a lost cause or direction for a franchise right now. You got to put right up there at the top of that conversation, the Chargers. But here's the thing, right? If Tom Brady picks the Chargers, are we not all elated? Like the Chargers roster is not bad. The Chargers roster is actually pretty good. They just have no box office, right? Well, I, and I think, you know, when we. I think we have to go a little deeper when we're looking at the decision that Brady did make. I mean, you look at everything the way it would align. I mean, what do you think? I mean, that's perfect for him. He's looking for someone to relocate that family. You go back to the golden state. You're the golden boy. You're going home. There's something there. He probably saw inside of that, inside of that franchise. And it could have been that, you know, Hey, you know, maybe they do have the tools here, but when you're in an uphill battle that maybe even Brady himself thought, you got another pro team right here. You're the you ninth most popular thing in LA. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Unless you unless somehow Charger football becomes the only essential employees for the next 12 months, you're the 12th most attractive thing going on inside that city. Do you believe maybe 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 you move up to what? 5 or 6 with Brady? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you think Tyron Taylor is going to be the starting quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers? Because I do not. I, I am in the. I put them in that same group with the Patriots. I believe they're not done making some moves right now. And f- for the most part, I think they might have a carousel of quarterbacks. We might see a rotating door there. If you're the Chargers, what do you do? Do you bring in Cam Newton, who is so freaking L.A. that it, it's almost nauseating? Do you bring in Jameis Winston, who is probably the best of the quarterbacks available? I don't see them bringing in Andy Dalton. Um, Or do you draft somebody and make them the starting quarterback day one and say, we are looking to the future. This kid is the face of our franchise. We're going with, I don't know, Justin Herbert. He's going to be the guy. What do you do if you're the Chargers? You know, I've been saying regularly with Andy Dalton, I, I think there's tremendous value in him, but it has to be the right situation. And I don't trust old red out there freckling in that California sun. I, I don't think that's a good tickets. fit for him. It, yeah, that's not a good fit for him at all. I really think, you know, in this short term, if you're the Chargers again, you know, you're so far down the totem pole here. 
last in line when it comes to options for entertainment. I don't think it's a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, trying to move up in that pecking order. I think you got to be patient and you got to build here. So I don't think you look for that, that home run shot. So I'm okay if you go in there with Taylor. Th- that's fine by me. And I don't, you know, I, I think maybe Winston, I mean, he, maybe he could bring some excitement, but I don't think he's going to move that needle. I also feel kind of that way about Cam inside. So if I go the route of the draft, but I don't think you put, you don't give them the keys to the car yet. You don't give them the keys to that kingdom and put all that pressure on them. Because there's so much more, I think, that they, those baby steps that they need to take to really show that they're going to be, you know, to really start improving. Yeah. So you got you got to look at the marathon instead of the sprint. Because really, in my mind, I mean, with the Chargers, to really make a significant move, to make that jump, I mean, shit, it's it's almost going to take nothing less than making a Super Bowl appearance. I mean, when you think about what's going on in L.A., the L.A. sports scene in general right now, right? You've got the Lakers. You've got the Clippers. You've got the Dodgers, who are quite possibly the best team on paper in baseball. You have the best player in baseball playing over in Anaheim with freaking Mike Trout. Then you've also got, you know, the just recently off of a Super Bowl Rams like best case scenario, the Chargers are going to be the sixth most interesting thing going on in Los Angeles sports. Best case scenario. That's before you even get into the Ducks and the Kings. And there's also two MLS teams out there. And oh, yeah, it's also fucking Los Angeles, you know, like Hollywood and shit. Well, I think, you know, that you can play to that fate, you know, that falls in your favor that you don't necessarily have to hit that home run. You can be patient and take your time where you're not going to get so much pressure. So, you know, make sure you're putting the right pieces of the puzzle together here and then hope that you can, you know, really achieve that success. You threw out the name here. and This came to me as I was setting up the run here and kind of doing the research for the show today. Let me throw a crazy, crazy scenario out here. We're, we're looking at potential landing destinations, new homes, for one, Cam Newton. He is out there on the market right now. Hell, there's a lot of concern from some of the major talking heads that you know, he might not find a home. That the league that the league has essentially moved on from him. How long until the racists start screaming that neither Jameis Winston or Cam Newton can get a contract? Well, you gotta believe it. It's gonna be at some point, obviously, you're gonna have those voices, you know, starting to speak up, coming to that forefront. I mean, I God, we still hear about year. fucking Kaepernick. I think that, you know, that's beginning to fade as well here. And maybe we won't get so much of it around these two because of the way that everything eventually played out with Kaepernick, you know, that exposure of, you know, him just trying to to play that martyr to really just improve himself financially and all that. It was all such a, you know, it was exposed to be a ploy there. This occurred to me here, especially somebody like Cam Newton and this is going to sound absolutely crazy. Hell, this is one of we're going down the rabbit hole. We're really stretching on this, you know, you and Colin there with what you got going on with, with the Patriots. Does Vince McMahon make a phone call to Cam Newton? <sighs> you, you talk about that, that over the top personality that when you look at XFL. a cross, when you look at someone that could be a crossover into the world in the mind of Vince McMahon, we see this so regularly inside WWE. Now, I mean, hell, man, that jaw drops, and you see that saliva just, you know, starting to creep down. 
the sides of his mouth. It's like a, a juicy, succulent steak. I mean, Vince McMahon can't help himself when it comes to those types of situations. Could Cam Newton be one of those players if he continues to get denied here in the NFL, feel slighted, that has has that chip on his shoulder that's looking for that fire in his belly. Vince McMahon makes that call. Now, we know fi- the financial structure, the payment system inside the XFL, immediately people are going to be like, there is absolutely no way you make that move. But if you've got that chip on your shoulder, and let's say that Vince sweetens this deal a little bit. Maybe he throws in partial ownership of the league eventually. Maybe this turns into something like a Lex Luger deal back in the day when they persuaded the total package, the jump from WCW. And it was, okay, We right now we know everything, the way it's going to look in public. And legally speaking, you can't sign with us here, but we're going to make some, you know, we'll throw some twists and turns into this thing. You come sign with the XFL. We'll give you a, we'll give you a slice of the pie. So if this thing does succeed, you're going to make a lot of money on this back end. But just in case this thing doesn't take off, we're out of business in season three. We're going we're gonna to guarantee a WWE contract, and that's where your real money comes in. You know, we'll, we'll give you one of these six appearances a year. We'll do something. We'll, we'll, just, we'll get that character. We'll get your personality out there. We'll make you a mega star in pro wrestling in that aspect. Would that be enough to well, entice somebody like him? Here's the problem, though. Do you think Vince McMahon is going to get the character or personality of Cam Newton? Cam Newton seems like the kind of person that would irritate Vince McMahon to absolutely no end. Like on paper, I agree. Like everything that you just said sounds great. And like if this was Teddy Two Gloves that we were talking about, I would completely agree with you. But I, I, I think that all sounds great on paper. And then Vince McMahon would meet Cam Newton. You know, it, it would have to work through that. But I'm thinking, you know, from this distance, does Vince make that call? And with the people between them, with his representation and people, that, you know, with Newton's representation, with people in Vince's ear, could they, you know, kind of bridge that relationship? I absolutely could see, you know, from the distance and, you know, just through the press conferences. God damn, pal, that's that's good shit. He's a sports entertainer. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. I just, I, I think personality-wise, I think that would clash horribly. I, I just look at that overall, what we know from Vince, and we've seen this before, you know, some individuals that he's done business with. Floyd. Do you think, Do you? yeah, Floyd, I mean, do you really think that Vince gets grunk? That's a valid point. I'm not sure I get grunk. Get grunk? get grunk? Like, does anybody not from, like, the, the shores of Atlantic City, New Jersey get Gronk? Well, hell, I mean, he's he's done business with the Jersey Shore people. Uh, and we have Snooki, Snooki at a WrestleMania. I think, do you think he, do you see Vince and Snooki, do you think they were going out hitting oh the God. clubs after Mania that season? You, you, you know what just occurred to me? Bro. The broser weights have to break up because I need a tag team of Matt Riddle and Rob Gronkowski. Could you imagine how obnoxious those two guys would be together? Dude, we, we, you know, we we got the Lex Luger mentioned in here. Let's bring back, you know, Gronk's already got the bus. Let's bring back the Lex Express thing. Once, once, once we're off lockdown, let's get the Gronk Express with the bro machine. You, you gotta have you, you, you Mojo be, involved, but you and need they're it gonna be an old Volkswagen van. Oh, no, 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 no. Here's what you do. 
you have the bro, the original bro, and you have Gronk on the bus, right? And they're going to start like out in L.A. We'll go back out to L.A. because, you know, that's where it all starts. They got everything going on. The Chargers are only the 12th most exciting thing there in sports. They got everything going on there. So they're going to start there on the bus. They're going to ride that bad boy all summer up to Boston to get ready for SummerSlam. But behind it, in your bug, the old hippied out bug, he's not allowed on the bus, would be Mojo. Or the old van, yeah. He's he's falling it. He's falling. He's falling it by. Uh, did, did anybody notice that Mojo just like dropped his new gimmick and went back to being hyped? Uh, I think he's got like the the Charlotte thing where he's a heel on, you know, one show. <laughs> so yeah, we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to to hate him because he's a villain on Mondays, but then we're supposed to hate him because he's, he's an annoying hype. douche. On Fridays, isn't that so Sammy I, I, Zayn's I, gimmick? But he's just a douche everywhere. <laughs> uh, oh. Well, either way, if the XFL calls, you know that Cam Newton at that point the career might be in panic mode, but he, he won't be alone because uh, down at the University of Clemson, seems that they've been in panic mode, and it kind of pertains here to the coronavirus. The Tigers' quarterback, the star quarterback. Starting quarterback of the New England Patriots in 2022. Okay, we'll go with that there. Uh, but anyway, the, the quarterback for the Tigers down there, Trevor Lawrence and his girlfriend, uh, what do we got here, Marissa Morrow, who happens to be an athlete in her own right. She's at Anderson University, a star volleyball player. These two have gone ahead and they started a GoFundMe campaign. Uh, they're in a, it's an attempt to, to raise funds for family relief and, and more so just the overall relief efforts to help out with everything just being felt with this coronavirus. Uh, they launched this thing, was it yesterday, early yesterday, a few days ago. This thing was, it was taken, it was taken off, picking up some legs. People were supporting it. The University of Clemson steps in and they quickly, quickly ask Lawrence to remove this thing, shut down the campaign. You picked up on the story here over on Facebook. I saw that you shared this story. You were blaming the NCAA, Mr. Jargo. Absolutely. This was not their, this was not their fault. The NCAA itself. Bullshit. Saw the, saw the situation, realized what was going on, stepped in, and they evaluated what was going on and said, you know what? We're okay with this. Go ahead and resume your campaigns. So Mr. Jargo, I'm asking you right now, publicly, Will you apologize to nope. the NCAA? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This was, you're absolutely right in the story. It was asked of Mr. Lawrence and his girlfriend by Clemson officials to take this thing down for fear out of an NCAA violation. Correct? They were afraid that the NCAA would step in and shut this thing down and then punish the University of Clemson for it. Because that's what the NCAA does. There is a reputation going back decades of the NCAA being complete douchebags and shutting shit like this down and then fining the university, suspending the programs. No, you can't go to bowl games. You can't compete for a national championship because your starting quarterback is an outstanding young man. No, this is on the NCAA for the reputation that had, that prompted the Clemson officials to ask Trevor Lawrence to take this thing down. 
down. Heaven forbid the NCAA actually step in and do the right thing for once in their fucking existence. Congratulations, NCAA. I applaud you. Now, you want to sit here and you want to vilify the NCAA. They have vilified themselves. I am not, believe me, I am not trying to defend moves that they have made in the past and what, you know, in the perception and really overall what they represent. But I, I do want to ask this question. Their mentality and how they handle these situations, is it a product not of them necessarily being the scumbags, but it is the outside influences, the outside scumbags that have been able to infiltrate these systems and manipulate efforts like this. You know, on the surface, yes, this seems like a tremendous relief campaign, but we have seen it time and time again where outside influences get into these programs, and that is the cause of the corruption. So in Clemson shutting this down, taking those precautions to make sure that everything was on the legit, that is there to cover their asses by provisions set forth by the NCAA that have been there to cover the asses of everyone involved to make sure before moving forward that this isn't a crooked operation. I don't, I, you know far more about the situation than I do, clearly. Because I'm talking, I'm talking in general. I mean, well, let's no. not look at this as a specific as a specific incident. I mean, this could be anywhere with anything. I mean, you've seen. How, I, I guess, not just sponsors, but the alumni, the athletic committees, or the boosters is what I'm looking for. The boosters, they'll come in here and they'll influence, okay, uh, I'll give you a job here on the backside. You know, your mom is going to be driving around in this new car. Very well knowing, because your name is attached to something as a star student athlete, that you're going to help drive their overall goal to raise their financials. I mean, is this, could this be potentially, yes, you put Lawrence's name on this. I mean, he is the golden child, a perfect poster boy, the, the kid next door. Then you have this beautiful, this beautiful young girlfriend, this seemingly about ready to boom power couple. They're tremendously marketable. What, I mean, what is the underlining tone? Is there, is there someone driving this that's trying to exploit this situation? If you're an institute, if you're a governing body, as Clemson, and then that bigger picture, the NCAA, your job is to make sure and to fully understand everything that's going on with inside this campaign, with inside that system. Trying to make the NCAA to be out to be any kind of an ethical organization is an argument that's so preposterous that I, I'm not even going to begin to try to make. I I'm not defending them in any way. I'm just saying, you know, that is their job. So sometimes I, even... even in doing so, like when you're trying to make sure that everything is smooth and it's a good flow, you're going to be vilified because it's tough to be, sometimes it's tough to be that authority. Here's the other thing. The thing I thought was the most interesting about this story is because they were afraid that the NCAA was going to slap them for a player basically selling his likeness rights. This is what the NCAA has already passed. This is what's going to be happening going forward. So, I mean, you can sit there and you can make this incredulous, uh, you know, argument about, you know, how how the NCAA is just there to watch out for these universities and these student athletes. But number one, we know that's all bullshit. And number two, they're not because a year from now, this wouldn't have even been an issue. I think it would have been. 
And I think maybe the reason that they backed off is because they know themselves that they're getting ready to make this transition. And there are very dangerous waters right now, you know, from everything that we've under that we can understand. And very little is known about this thing. And I believe that's internally as well. I don't think they really have a full grasp of what's about to be unleashed, you know, on the world of amateur sports and on that collegiate level. Yeah, no, that that much we do agree with. Well, I, I guess there we do know that they are good people down there. That that Trevor Lawrence and and his girlfriend Marissa, they so, absolutely they they care. It's the Patriot way. They care. That's I, I the Patriot think, I don't know, way. I, I don't think there's a lot of love coming from anywhere from the Patriots ever, never going forward. Whatever it might be, but I do know who cares. Because hell, they got a whole charity around it. It's the NBA. The NBA cares. Joe, I want to talk to you. When, I know we've talked about this in the past, but now we, we've got some of the more outspoken figures inside of the NBA, and now we're starting to see a plan really develop. We're getting some, maybe some dates, a timeline set for the NBA to return to action, finish out this season. What's it going to mean is we're looking for that release. We're looking to get back to you know things that are familiar in our life, What's it going to mean overall society for the NBA to get back on the court here, John? Overall, and then we'll start talking about the specifics. Well, I know my life will be a lot more enjoyable because like this entire coronavirus thing, it's canceled some of my favorite shows, Rick. I, I can't watch the Luca show anymore. I can't watch the Steph show anymore. I can't watch the Lake show anymore. I don't get to watch the Zion show anymore. Like this thing is just completely cramping my style, man. Like I am just fiending for freaking NBA basketball at this point. Although I, I must say NBA 2K20, it, it does help, but it's just not the same. Well, we're, we're talking about those, those outspoken figures, those leaders within the NBA. And I think everybody, when there's an opinion to be had, you know, much like in the world of professional wrestling, we, we turn the cornet when it comes to, to sports and professional basketball, we look to one Mark Cuban. Hey, before what you he read wrote, this quote, I, I, I just want to ask, is Mark Cuban the most beloved like owner in all of sports? Like, it really seems like he is there for the fans and the fans' interest. Like, everybody loves Mark Cuban. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's that connect. He, you know, he, he's real. He's on your level. He's such a fan himself. Well, and the way that he even approaches things and for him to kind of take this lead on this thing and in the way he's presenting it in the way he's pushing, we have got to get back to the court. We have got to start playing again. You know, he's not putting it over for, you know, anything for the players or talking about financials for the franchises. He's putting this for the people. And that's absolutely, you know, what he's speaking towards here. Let's let's see. Sports play such an important role, uh, Cuban had to say. People want something to root for. People want something to rally around. People want something to be excited about. And if the Mavs and the NBA in general can get out there and start playing games in May, bring that back to TV. Sports is what we need right now. Yeah. He's talking to the fans. He's talking for the people, for the masses, the people that are hungry to get back to that familiar spot in their life. That's why he's so endearing. And I think absolutely he has hit it perfectly on the marks, knocked it out of the park. This is how they need to proceed with this thing. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Um, 
Mark Cuban is quickly become my favorite owner across all sports. And a lot of that is because I enjoy watching the Luca show. And I mean, I need the Luca show back in my life. If people aren't watching Luca Doncic, I don't know what in the hell you're watching on television because this kid is must see TV. I have watched, I bet you I've watched almost as many Mavericks games this year as I have Lakers games just because I love watching Luca play. It's ridiculous, man. It's like Steph Curry, like, you know, right before the Kevin Durant year started when he's out there just lighting people up. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, but it's always thoroughly entertaining. He's the Jameis Winston. And what you tune into the NBA, especially because it's it's so easy for them to market these individual brands and the NBA absolutely for decades now has embraced this and, and you have that connect with those stars. That's what you're hungry for. And right now, as we look at the teams that are in playoff contention and help top to bottom, it's about these stars. You talk about an opportunity to really grab and excite an audience. This is the time for the NBA. Now, as we're talking about, you know, Cuban, he mar- he mentions here, if we can get going in May, and also inside of this interview, he's, you know, he's talking about basketball in any form, even if that means that we don't have any fans there. If we're playing in empty arenas, just to start slowly transitioning back into that thing, we're also hearing that, you know, realistically from the league office, they're talking June 1st. Jargo, we kind of kicked around a couple of ideas over the last couple of weeks. Now that we know a little bit more, and the reality of an actual timeline, where they actually could get going with things, where do you stand on where they should resume the season? How should they move forward? I mean, do, do we have a couple regular season games? Do we jump right into the playoffs? What do you got? Man, that's a really, really good question. That's, that's a multi-million dollar question, of course. Um, and there's a lot of things that are going to impact that. Probably the largest ones being number one, Major League Baseball, number two, the WNBA, but the trump card, of course, being the TV contracts and how all of those are worded, what they can work out with the networks, what they can figure out with TNT, what they can figure out with ESPN. Um, this is going to be a very, very complicated situation because if it, it seems to me the WNBA started or was scheduled to start May 14th. I believe is the date. Um, The other thing that will play into that is, of course, the NHL and what the NHL decides to do. And the reason that plays in, of course, the WNBA, the NBA and the NHL, they all share a lot of the same arenas that are just converted over. Um, So I could not imagine the scheduling nightmare that is about to hit all of these front offices. I don't know how you could begin to even try to schedule this thing out. Um, One thing I'm really hoping that they do not do is just like front load everything. Like I don't want the NBA to come back in May and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play two weeks of the regular season and then we're going to start the playoffs, but we have to have everything over with by this date So all of a sudden we're going to start playing four games a week when you guys haven't played a game in a month. That seems really, really dangerous to me. So I really don't know what the right answer is because I I would say just go to the playoffs, but all these guys are going to need a couple of weeks at least to get back in game shape. 
I mean, you can be in shape, but, you know, we see it in the world of professional wrestling. You can be in tremendous shape and be blown up in that ring in about 45 seconds. But I think, you know, you're going to get you're going to get multiple arguments from the teams here. I mean, do you look that who is going to play a favor with that last point you made there, Jargo? Are these guys going to be ready to go back there and play at that level? I think, you know, this absolutely favors a team like your Lakers who were taking the regular season seriously. Who were going out there and playing like they are hungry for a championship? Where you saw, you know, the other the Clippers themselves would kind of go in cruise control. Yeah, at, at times, you know, are this is the time where they would be trying to really define who they are, figure things out as they gear up for that postseason. But I think it's also what we've seen in the in the world of professional wrestling, where and we made this comment when this whole thing started. The novelty of like the empty arena thing, you know, that's fine for one week. But as soon as that becomes the new normal, like, yeah, you get applause for, yay, I'm, I'm glad that you're keeping this going, but it's still got to be fucking good. It's still got to be watchable. And I guess that's my fear is people are going to tune in to watch this thing if you go straight into the playoffs and you're going to get, you know, 78 to 74 and it's just going to be sloppy-ass basketball, and people are going to be like, well, yeah, that was basketball, but I don't know if I'm going to watch the next game. I, I think with, with these individuals, I don't think it'll be to that extent. I think you'll keep people on the hook. They're going to be so excited for this thing coming back. But before I really jump into how I would handle these games, I love that you know you mentioned all the technicalities out, you know, away from the game, off of the court, everything that has to fall in line here as you take into consideration the WNBA, the NHL, the NBA itself, one of the things, you know, that I, that I would I would beg all those parties involved, implore them to, you know, don't act like our government right now. Don't worry about the politics of everything that's going on in your personal agendas. Come together and, and work as a cohesive unit for the betterment of your fan base. Now, I know, understandably, I've, I've had the great honor and experience to do this a couple of times of transforming a floor between a basketball court and a hockey rink. I mean, that's not something that's that's done overnight. I mean, it is, it's really cool. You know, outside of sitting back, you know, kicking back and watching a, a wrestling ring be built. I mean, it's right up there. It's such an experience. I mean, if, if you're really, if, if you just bleed sports and it, it's just embedded in your soul, it's something so cool to be a part of. And it was something, you know, thankful that I've been able to experience in my life. But with the WNBA and the NBA, I would look at this it's, as a tremendous marketing opportunity. You see this during the NCAA. Instead of worrying about scheduling conflicts and overlapping and all this, why not run, run this as a package deal? Run two games at the arena. Bang for your buck as fans. This is going to open up a whole new audience and bring more eyes to the WNBA product to let the women shine. You know, you can package those together if you're worried about travel and dates and moving all those tickets. I mean, this is good. That would be something tremendous for the fans. As we're talking about, you know, just the NBA and its regular season, how they proceed forward here, I'm not necessarily a fan of the empty arenas. You know, they they can go, if they want to have two weeks closed session or maybe even you do show you go more aggressive with showing the practices or these mini camps these startup camps reset camps however you want to present this thing you can go inside of those with some tremendous documentary pieces and interviews to get people excited but we're talking about you know that need that hunger 
for basketball, for professional sports in a, in a rebirth. And you really, you approach it as, okay, basketball is back. We're with a fresh start. We're going to chase a championship. It is the playoffs. And you tie that into what society is feeling right now, that as, as humanity has just survived, you know, some dark days, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that leads towards a championship. And, and that's the spirit, the, the human spirit, just not America. we got a global game. That's what we're chasing, and that's what these playoffs are about. These players coming back together to do this for the fans, to do this not just for themselves, just not for the glory, but yes, the people, and to show that we were that we will persevere. I I, I love that gimmick, and especially if you get one of those epic showdowns, hell, you know, like Boston and L.A. in that final, and you know, and you look for that. You want want you want somebody. You're looking for that moment to have somebody like LeBron as you look to as your face of your league, the franchise player, to have that moment. I mean, really, I think what everybody wants to see is the Battle of Los Angeles. Just give me the Lakers and Clippers in a seven game series. Call it good. I know, but you know that's on your road there. And I think, you know, there's some tremendous stories to be told because we've got stars. We've got great individual brands in addition to the franchise. And then you have, you know, an owner there like Cuban that's kind of leading that charge, you know, talking to the fans, for the fans. This is, it's a great opportunity, you know, for the NBA to once again, to really elevate themselves and, and take that lead in getting us back to, you know, that true love, that greatness for sports. It, it's and they're going to have the opportunity, them in the NHL. I, I guess the NHL, they've got probably a higher hurdle to overcome because they have been, you know, really, we're talking about when you, the pecking order for entertainment and sports, the NHL is, is so far behind. So, you know, inside of their marketing meetings, league office meetings, whatever it might be, they've got a hell of a task ahead of them to really figure out, you know, what can help their league moving forward. Shout out to the event planner at the Staples Center. Could you imagine trying to schedule games for the Lakers and the Clippers and the Kings and all the concerts that are being rescheduled? And my God. Well, you know, if if they have an overflow at the Staples Center, I heard they've got another tremendous historic venue close by that maybe they could could utilize that. But they're going to have to go through, you know, the new landlord. Motherfucker. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. As we are winding down, we are on the the road to the go home for for all things hitting the marks. In in the words, I wake up this morning and (laughs) I have a single DM. And it's jargon. I'm expecting runs in the mail or some wrestling news. And, And it simply reads fucking clippers bought the forum yeah it, it was bad enough this has not been inside of the lakers family for a very very long time at this point uh, the, the actual owner of the forum was one mr douchebag from new york city james dolan in the msg group i believe let, let's see most of the teams in your lakers they all moved out in 99 correct yeah yep um this just makes me sick. This makes me sick twofold. Um, number one, 
the fact that the Clippers control the forum. Now, they are not going to play in the forum. The plan is they're going to build a, a new crazy-ass stadium like across the street from the forum. Well, if you want here, let's, let's run down some of these statistics, and we'll go inside this deal real quick before you can you can really break this down, Jargo. Uh, but yes, as you said, there's the Madison Square Garden Company. They are currently the owners of the forum. Uh, they have reached a deal here with the Clippers owner who, this is a group called, uh, we got C-A-P-S-S, so CAPS LLC. This is his new, his new group that's handling this purchase. Uh, they have agreed upon to take over the forum. Uh, it's going to cost them $400 million in cash. Now, this isn't a done deal yet. They're expecting it short term. It doesn't seem like there's going to be it's many like speed bumps. Turtles. June, I think it is, is when it would take effect. Yeah. yeah. So it's in the short term. But, you know, there still could be something happening. But it looks like all things are a go. And as you kind of alluded towards there, Jarko, this mainly, this is the Clippers really eliminating that a major and last obstacle and them proceeding forward with building a new state-of-the-art arena. Uh, what they want to do is, you know, to really to, to let the Clippers organization shine. They want to be seen in a spotlight position inside of that hot LA market. It's going to be an 18,000-seat home. It's going to be privately funded. A billion dollars are going into this thing. Uh, Job-wise, what this is looking for for the area, the Clippers say the, uh, the arena will create an estimated 7,500 high-paying construction jobs. And then once it is completed, around 1,500 permanent jobs. It's not so, good. I mean, you're, you're looking at employment. You're going to help the community. It's not good. Nope. Not good. No. Uh, in addition to this, you know, just outside of employment, this new, this new sexy arena, this, this hot new destination out there on the left coast, uh, it looks like they, they've also got in here a hundred million dollar package for community benefits. It's awful. I mean, they're doing everything for the people out there, Jargo. They're they're improving the scene in California. But there's there's and you're, there's one and you're thing still you're still harshing. You're still harshing on this. There's one thing you're forgetting. The people of L.A. don't want the fucking Clippers. Fuck the Clippers. Will never be the Lakers. It's never going to happen. I don't even care if they win the championship this year. They're still not going to be the fucking Lakers. It'll be a little asterisk next to the coronavirus anyway. Um, but I am happy that the Clippers are getting the fuck out of the Staples Center. Get the hell out of our goddamn basement. They're like the freaking cousins that would never leave once you let them move in. So they're finally going to get their own place. But in all seriousness, um, the thing that really sucks about this uh, as somebody who used to follow the Seattle Sonics, I was really hoping this deal would fall through. Um, and Steve Ballmer actually at one point tried to buy the Seattle Supersonics to keep the now Oklahoma City Thunder in Seattle uh, because he has ties to Microsoft. He's from the Seattle area. And there was a lot of talk that if they could not get this deal done, that possibly the Clippers would end up being the new tenants at the Key Arena, um, which is currently undergoing a $1 billion renovation. So once again, Seattle kind of sitting around with their dick in their hand waiting. You know, on the forum, it, it, outside of you know the humor side of, of the Clippers acquiring this thing moving forward. Doesn't and all that, that just make you sick? The Clippers own the forum? It's one of those things. It's you can't help but laugh. It's just not right. 
you know, the irony behind the situation, but some of the, the memories there, obviously the, the rise of the Laker dynasty and all of the hall of famers, the championship banners, everything that's gone, you know, with Laker lore. That's been Showtime. With, that was with all the forum. the forum that essentially, you know, put the NBA yeah. you know, that, that led the way for MJ in this modern era, in the great basketball boom and the global expansion, you could really say that it started there in the forum. Well, I, the forum and MSG. I mean, those two buildings. Well, in Boston Garden, I guess. I, I guess you could include the old Boston Garden and their dead ass parquet floor uh, into that conversation as well. You know, and outside, outside of the hardwood, you, you peel that back, and under there. You've got the ice, the memories of, you know, Gretzky and the Kings, the the championships that they've had there, uh, you know, college tournaments, some great happenings that were played under that roof. I mean, hell, you you had the 84 Olympics, the forum, you know, hosted the basketball for the Olympics that year. Yeah. That's a great building. The acoustics in that building are amazing, too. Like, if you look back over, like, musical history – playing the forum that that was always a big thing too like it was basically the west coast version of msg could, could you imagine you know going back at any period in time but you know let's say you know really those heydays showtime let's say you know the mid late 80s and all that you're standing there center court maybe a few of the great legends get that basketball under your arm and empty arena and you're just taking it in man you can just feel the energy, the history, and you're looking at all those banners. And then a janitor comes mopping by. Well, you know, one day, boys, Clippers are gonna own this fucker. God damn. God damn. It makes me sick. Let's move on. I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get corona all over the let's, place. Let's, let's move on to happier memories. Let's let's end today's episode of hashtag HTM Sports with some with some better memories. Tomorrow, Thursday the twenty sixth, should should have marked opening day in Major League Baseball, Jargo. Now, for me, I know there's very special ties here in the city of Cincinnati, the first professional team. And as I regularly put over, there is no place, no place on the map like Cincinnati when it comes to opening day for the baseball season. We've been doing it for so long. We do it so right. But ultimately, I know you don't have a pro team out there, but you got tremendous ties you got tremendous memories going back with your grandfather and the love he gave you for the Yankees and all that. And hell, when you, you talk history of anything, the Yankees are involved in it. So I wanted to talk about it. It, it sucks. We're not going to have opening day as we're used to. It's going to be pushed down the road here. But man, let, let's look back. Is there anything better in sports than opening day in baseball? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I don't know, man. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, like Stanley Cup Finals Game Seven. I see it. No. I mean, right there. I mean, I just I just blew out Opening Day. Like, no, you mm. see, but you're you're so no, you're so you're limiting yourself. You're well, going no, inside that bubble. You're going inside that bubble. Here's the problem with Opening Day. The problem with Opening Day is it's Game One of 162. There's no stakes. And that's, that's the, the problem. Beautiful. No, that's the beautiful part. It is a rebirth. It is the sign that spring is here. That the flowers are beginning to bloom. The, the leaves are turning green. Babies are being born. 
That's what spring represents. It is a rebirth. It is new life. Everybody has a chance. You feel good. It's your season. It's your time to celebrate. All is right in the world. That is opening day. That's what it represents. And then to take it for baseball and why baseball's opening day is so much more impactful than, say, the NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball, whatever it might be, is because baseball represents true American values. It's reason that they don't have a clock on the game because it's timeless. It's a classic and you can get lost in it. And there's nothing, there is nothing finer than walking into a major league ballpark and getting that, that first hit of that freshly cut grass. And then you get the peanuts and the hot dogs and the stale beer somehow just, it, 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 even, it even takes you to another place. It is a magical experience. And it can happen here in Cincinnati at the granddaddy of them all. It can happen in Kansas City. It can happen in Milwaukee, Denver, Houston where they're banging the hell out of the buckets to let you know that everything's all right. That's what opening day in baseball is. I, uh, I, I, I don't go to many major league games. Haven't been in my life because major league baseball just does not do it for me. Um, I would much rather watch minor league baseball. And we do have a minor league team here in Cedar Rapids. We also have a minor league team in my hometown of Clinton, Iowa. Uh, the Clinton Lumber Kings, as they are now known. Um, Rick, they play at a building that at one time was known as Riverview Stadium. Um, it's it's right alongside the Mississippi River. Um, at one time, you could actually see the river from inside of the stadium until an awful flood came uh, during the 50s, and they actually ended up building a levee off beyond the, the eyesight of the stadium. But built in 1935, it was completed in 1937 as part of a works project uh, to put people back to work after the Great Depression. That's why that stadium was built. And it has hosted minor league baseball going back to the Negro League there at Riverview Stadium. And now, because of a couple of douchebags up in Major League Baseball, specifically at the Houston Astros organization, as if I needed any more reason to want to hate the Houston Astros, they want to eliminate roughly 42 teams from minor league baseball, including the Clinton Lumber Kings. Going back to 1935, it has been an institution in the city of Clinton, which has all of about 34,000 people in it. It's a beautiful ballpark. It's been kept up. It's been renovated for millions of dollars. It's kind of like Lambo at this point, where it's like it's so historic, you can't tear it down. So you just keep adding to it. Um, the most recent renovation uh, looks like was 2019. They, they did a few, but there was a $4.2 million renovation in 2006 to a stadium that's almost 100 years old. 100 years of tradition. So many of my memories, please, if you live in a city with minor league baseball, go out and support it. I'd rather watch minor league baseball than major league baseball any day of the week. I'm not going to disagree with you and I'm not going to sell it short. The magic of minor league baseball is uncomparable to anything else. It is so unique inside of itself. If you want a, a true 
live event experience, especially with the family, you know, young, young fans or could be fans. You want to get them hooked on something, a minor league. I don't even want to say it a game because it's an extravaganza. They, they truly cherish and appreciate your attendance and your support. They'll get you so involved and you're so close to the action. I mean, it, it feels like you're sitting inside of the dugout, no matter where you're at. Usually, I mean, even in AAA, where you get to the bigger stadiums for minor league standards, they're so cozy. There's not, a, I've, ne- I've been to a handful of them across the states. It's one of those things. If I happen to be out of town somewhere and I catch word that there's a minor league baseball game, sure as hell I'm going to check that out. Not necessarily because I'm in love with the game of baseball itself, but you talk about experiences and that live event. That's what pulls me in. And I have, I've, it's rare. I've never been disappointed, but it's rare that I'm even let down because of the effort and the care. Absolutely, Jargo. Meyer League Baseball, just like indie wrestling. It's unique. It's special. And if you have an opportunity, you're selling yourself short if you don't go take full advantage of that. But absolutely, all around baseball, early season, it's so special. Three teams on the chopping block in the state of Iowa. Clinton Lumber Kings, Quad City River Bastards, I mean Bandits, and the Burlington Bees. Hate to see anything happen to all three of those teams. <laughs> you know, I sit here, I put over opening day and how special it is and all that. But there ain't no way at hell I'm going to watch a game in June. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, and that's what makes it so special early on because you, it's going to fade real quick. Especially, you know, here, you know, recently with the Reds where we're going to be mathematically eliminated. I think you're already like, out of it. Hey, no, hey, 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 hold back. We get, we're in a down division. We've made some stellar moves. This team's going to be all right eventually once they start playing ball here. Once everything resumes, they're going to be okay. Close it out, Huckleberry. Well, I guess that's going to do it here for another edition. We got one more to go. We're on the road to the go home here at hittingthemarks.com. This has been hashtag HTM Sports brought to you by Brosters. Roasters coffee. Get your day going, bro. With a little bit of that Russo brand. Talking about a brand. Got Stevie Richard Fitness. That brand, they want to invent a whole, a band new you going in to the rest of the year here. And as we emerge from our quarantine and and we try to to rediscover the world that's going on, you want to be looking fine. You got to be prepared for those summer bodies. Stevie Richard, he's got you covered. And of course, as always, our newest friends, the War on Morons. Thank you for all your support. I'm the real RBV, Rick Vickery. Keep up with me across all social media platforms at the real RBV. Jargo, what do you got? Find me at not Jargo, even though I probably won't talk to you because I'll probably be too busy. That's going to do it for us. For now, we're off like that condom I said I used. Oh, see ya!